following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We are in the series that we just started last week on the Sermon on the Mount. If you weren't here last week, it'd be a great idea to listen to that message if you can. Uh, or, or watch it on YouTube, just bring you up to speed and just give you an overall orientation for where we're heading in this series. But we're working through the sermon that Jesus preached, which is in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. And we're going to be working through this for quite a while. But right up front in that sermon, we hit these things called the Beatitudes, uh, which is what we're working through at the moment. And, and last week, those of you that were here were blessed to have that really uplifting message about how rotten our sin is before God. Didn't we all leave feeling edified uh, in the Lord? But, you know, that was a necessary part of the gospel, wasn't it? And um, I hope that that uh, connected in leading you closer towards the grace of God by showing us how desperate our need is for God. Yeah. That, that's the idea. That's the point. Not, not to tear you down, but to build you up. Uh, but that, and, you know, it's no, it's no accident. That's where Jesus starts in this whole sermon, the poor in spirit, the mourning. But we move through that. Uh, and we come into another couple of Beatitudes that we're going to look at this morning. Now, what I've done with these Beatitudes, and I have to apologize to Jesus for this, because I'm taking these slightly out of order. I know some of you have already voiced some concern about this. I, 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 I'm just hoping that Jesus is going to forgive me for it. I'm, I'm just going to jump around a little bit, because what I want to do is take two at a time, and so I'm trying to group these thematically. So yes, I know those of you that are really structured people, and you're just like, why are we not going verse by verse, man? Um, just please have, have grace and patience. And we will, I promise, cover all of the Beatitudes, but just not in the order that they are here. So what we'll do this morning is we're going to look at verse 6 and verse 8. Uh, and I've paired these because of the way they, they work together thematically. So let me read these to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 and verse 8. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want you to think about a time in your life where you were incredibly hungry. Can you do that? Maybe it's right now. If you are thinking about what you're having for lunch, that is a good thing right now. Normally, this is the worst thing to say in church because then everyone's just thinking about what's coming up for lunch. But I want you right now to think about if you could have anything for lunch, what would it be? If you, you know, your meal of choice, what, you know, just that, what is that? That would be waiting for you. For me, it's probably Wendy's. Maybe a baconator combo. <laughs> or maybe we could, if you want to go really gourmet, we could go burger fuel, perhaps notch it up. Some of you are horrified, I know. But whatever it is for you, just think about that. What is that meal that just you would just absolutely love to have? Think about it until your stomach starts rumbling. I want you to feel your hunger this morning, okay? It's all right. We're going we're gonna to feel hungry together, okay? I want you to think about that feeling of hunger. Uh, what does it feel like? How does it affect you? How does it distract you? What's that experience like? Because we are talking about being hungry, this morning, and Jesus is using our physical sensation of hunger and thirst to lead us into something much deeper. So let's let that sensation 
kind of have its, have its way in us and, and channel that hunger and that thirst towards something deeper, something more spiritual this morning. That's the kind of journey we're going to go on, okay? So if there are a few rumbling stomachs as we go through the morning, that's for, for this morning, that's a good thing. We're okay with that. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness in its simplest form is just doing God's will. It's simple enough, just doing the will of God, uh, conforming to the character of God. But isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the righteous? Well, he could have. That would have been shorter. He could have just said, blessed are the righteous. But he doesn't say that. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So straight away, you see, Jesus is going for something deeper. It's not just this life of righteous deeds. It's not just behaviors that are righteous that he's wanting. He's, he's wanting our hearts. This is what we're talking about this morning. Straight away, Jesus is wanting. He's talking about that inner longing and desire for righteousness. That's why I've paired this with the beatitude in verse 8 that says, Blessed are the pure in heart. That Jesus is emphasizing the condition of our heart before God. And really, this is a theme. It starts here, but it just crops up again and again and again through the teaching ministry of Jesus. If you look at what he says, so often he's talking about the heart. He's talking about what's going on inside us. It was the Pharisees who were concerned about the outside. They were the ones. They were externally righteous. They, had all, they ticked all the boxes. If the Pharisees were here today, they would be involved in all sorts of humanitarian work, all sorts of church activities. They'd be showing up for church every Sunday. They'd be giving and tithing and serving and baptized and everything else. They'd tick every single external box. They had righteousness absolutely perfected. And yet that group comes in for some of the harshest rebuke that Jesus gives in the entire gospels. Because he's saying your behavior is impeccable, but your heart is dead. He says at one point, you're like whitewashed tombs. Impeccable on the outside, looking good on the outside. Inside, you're a pile of bones. You're just dead. You're empty. So what Jesus is wanting is our heart. And partly that's true because he knows that out of the heart, or everything else flows. Even the Pharisees who were outwardly righteous, because it didn't come from a pure heart, it was really just legalism. It was really just moralism. It was empty. It was nothing. Jesus is saying that when we get our hearts right before God, so much else flows out of that. So what he's talking about is cultivating a pure heart, a pure heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Now, what does that mean? What kind of heart is that? How do we get this kind of heart? Well, we have some help here in the Old Testament. And I want to go back this morning to a particular psalm in the Old Testament that I think connects really closely with what Jesus is saying here. So Psalm 63, and we're going to be back and forwards a little bit between Psalm 63 and Matthew 5. I wouldn't be surprised if when Jesus said these words, he was thinking of some of the imagery in Psalm 63 because it's so close to what he says there. Psalm 63 is a psalm written by David. And it's written at a time in his life when he was on the run from King Saul. So King Saul is trying to take David's life. And David's in the desert. He's in the Judean wilderness. And that's an arid place. It's a very barren kind of landscape. Food was really scarce. Water was very scarce. And so David's struggling with severe hunger and severe thirst. 
He's, he's desperately hungry and thirsty, and it's out of that experience that he writes these words. It's kind of like he channels his physical hunger towards a hunger after God. At the first verse of Psalm 63, he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Can you hear what David is longing for in that verse? Like he doesn't say, God, I long to be a good person. He doesn't say, God, I long for righteous character. He doesn't say, God, I long for morality. I long for better behavior. No, he says, God, I long for you. Three times in that one verse, the word you is used. I, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. David is saying the object of my heart's greatest desire, God, is you. It's not my life and what's happening with me. God, I'm longing for you, for your presence for your power in my life. I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not just longing for a righteous life. It's longing for the God of righteousness, isn't it? You can't pursue righteousness without pursuing God. You can't pursue the will of God without pursuing God himself. Our deepest longing shouldn't be just that our lives get better, just that we become better Christians, just that our behavior gradually improves, or we make more of a difference in the world. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, the greatest desire that you have is not for spiritual growth, is not even for the will of God to be done in your life. Your greatest desire should be for God himself, his person, his beauty, his majesty, to have more of him in your life, to know him more, to set your heart on him and have him be the object of your greatest desire. That is what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus. Of course, God wants our lives to be transformed. Of course, he wants us to seek his will and grow and, and, and that would bear fruit. But underneath all of that, should be this deep longing for God himself. Do you have that? Not sure. Maybe, maybe there's a flicker. Maybe there's something. I don't know. But that's what David was stirring in David's soul. That's what Jesus is talking to. I know some of you feel like, oh, this just sounds like emotions. This just sounds like it's all that sort of airy-fairy, peripheral, ethereal sort of stuff. That's not important. We're not just talking about chasing feelings. That's really important. I don't think that's what Jesus was on about. He's not just saying, I want you to chase after some emotional kind of experience of me. Look, sometimes you will feel close to God. Sometimes you won't. Sometimes you will have an emotional sense of God's presence. Sometimes you won't. I don't often have a strong emotional sense of God's presence, but I think Jesus is digging at something far deeper than that. This is not just about your feelings. That's on the surface of things. He's talking about what's going on in your soul, this deep craving of your soul for God. It's a deep rumbling, much, much deeper than just your, your emotions will go up and down, but it's your soul longing for God. And I will tell you, some of the people in church history that have had the, the greatest intellectual faith have also had this deep desire of the heart for God. Some of the old Puritan preachers, you know, they used to talk about this as setting your affections upon God. 
You know, you, people like Jonathan Edwards, people like uh, John Owen. These guys, some of the greatest theological minds, but they knew that theology is empty without our heart desiring after God and panting after him like the deer pants for water. They knew you can have all the doctrine in the world, you can have all the right answers in the world, but these were people who knew the importance of setting their affections upon Jesus and looking into his face and desiring him simply for who he is. And if you have a faith that is just all bound up in your head, and it's purely an intellectual faith, and you're just coming along to church to just download this teaching and so that you can kind of get this data to apply to your life, you are missing a huge part of what Jesus talked about when he said, I've come that you may have life to the full. Not just life in your head. Yes, we are to grow in the knowledge of God. But what God wants more than anything else is your heart. Does he have your heart? Does your soul, think about those words of David's. Just let them sit with you. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Are you seeking after God? See, it might sound funny because you say, well, I thought that now that I've got, now that I've found God, why am I seeking God? You know, I thought that seeking God was something you did before you became a Christian. And now that we've sought him and we've found him, why do we still have to seek him? Tim Keller has a great word on this in one of his, um, in one of his messages on Psalm 63. He says, it's not that we seek God and then find him. It's that we find him and then we keep seeking him. It's, it's the reverse of what you think it is. It's not that we kind of seek him and seek him and seek him, and then, oh, now I've found God, and so I'm good. I've kind of arrived. It's that the very experience of finding God and, and receiving salvation and experiencing his grace should catalyze within your heart a deeper desire to keep seeking more of his presence in your life. I mean, this was where David was at. He says, oh, God, you are my God. He's already found God in that sense. God, you are already my God. He knows God. He has a connection with God. And yet, what's the very next verse? Earnestly, I seek you. David knew God. He'd found God. And it was that very experience of knowing God that generated a deep longing within his heart for even more. And it's one of the signs that we've truly received the grace of God is that it gives us, even if just the smallest flicker of a desire, to know Christ even more in our lives. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Just picture that experience in the desert that David was going through, desperately hungry. Just desperate for any little bit of nutrient that he could find. Desperately thirsty. Just any, just a longing for a drop of water on his tongue. That is the desire God wants our hearts to have for him. Is that the desire that you have for God? A desperation for his presence. A deep longing. God, I'm hopeless without you. God, all I want is you. Problem is our hearts desire so many other things. Our hearts are so distracted and pulled in so many other directions. And God's desire is to draw our hearts back and center them upon himself. So are these words true for you? Probably, honestly, if I, mean, if I think if we're honest with our own hearts, most of us would say no, wouldn't we? I mean, if we just own up to it, do we, can we honestly say that we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Can we honestly say with David, I thirst for you? 
My whole being longs for you. Probably most of us in this room would say, no, I, I, I can't. We might, might stand there, might say the words, we might sing the songs, but when we examine our own hearts, a lot of the time we find that longing is not really there. But what you might have is a longing to long. That sounds like it connected with more of you. Do you know what I mean? So you say, God, I really don't, I don't, I don't have the sense in my life. I don't have this hunger for you that I see Jesus talking about. I don't have this hunger for you that I see David experiencing, but I want to. I desire it. I don't have that thirst, if I'm honest, but I want it. What you have is a hunger for the hunger. You have a desire for the desire. You have a thirst for the thirst, and that's good. That's the start. Even the fact that you feel that, that you sense that, there's something going on in your soul, that in itself is a sign that God's working. You, you, you wouldn't have that if the Holy Spirit wasn't already nudging your life and nudging your heart. Even if you just have the smallest little seed, just the beginnings, and you say, God, I, I see something here that I want. I'm not there, but I, I long for it. That's good. Bring that little seed to God. Bring the smallest little seed of desire to him and say, God, I want you to grow this. God, would you come and water this seed? Would you come and bring your presence and your power? Would you grow this into something, this big planting that is a tree of great desire for you? Maybe you've just got the smallest little ember. And maybe you can remember back to a time in your life where you really did desire God a lot more than you do now. And you feel like your heart has grown so cold. It's just a little ember now. Bring that little ember to God. Don't just snuff it out. The Bible says a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Just bring that little smoldering wick to God and say, God, I just ask, would you just breathe on this ember in my heart? I've owned this all I've got, God, just a little ember. But would you breathe, would Holy Spirit, would you breathe upon that ember and fan it back into flame and give me a deep desire for you in the deepest part, the deepest, innermost level of my being? If you've just got a hunger for the hunger, that's good. And that's the place where God will meet you and begin to cultivate in your life a desire for the things of him. And so how do we start to open up to this? How do we let the Holy Spirit come and just bring about that deeper desire, a much deeper desire than what most of us have? But there's a longing. I sense it. There's a longing and a craving for this. The, the first thing I would say, and I think you, you need to clear the decks with this idea, is what we're not talking about just one-off experiences. We're not just talking about one-time experiences where we have this amazing encounter with God and we feel really close to Him in that moment. Most of us have had those times. A lot of us have had those times. I remember going to Summer Harvest when I was a teenager. Anyone been to Summer Harvest? What a great, great years. They were so good. And I'd go up there with you know, my mates from high school and we'd great bands and amazing speakers. And, and I had... Over those times, such a deep desire for God. And I would think, man, this year, I'm going to live for God. This year, this is my year. I'm going to live. I'm sold out for Jesus. And I had this amazing desire for the will of God and just for God in my life. And then you know how long that lasts? About five minutes once you get home. And then life starts again and you get busy. And I mean, that was just me as a teenager. But life got busy and noisy and cluttered and the desire just faded. And then I'd come back to Summer Harvest next year. Yes, God, I love you, Jesus. I'm going to live this year for you, God. And then the desire just fades again. I mean, this is the cycle of so many Christian lives, isn't it? 
And again, nothing wrong with those experiences. I'm not here to knock those times. These can be amazing catalysts for faith. I really believe that. Easter camp is another one for young people. So those can be great. The problem is if that's all you've got, then you end up just living from the mountaintop to the mountaintop to the mountaintop, and you've got nothing that can sustain you through the normal terrain of everyday life. You just got, you're a mountaintop Christian, and that's where you meet with God. But what about just the normal? And what about when you go through the valley? Then you've really got nothing. So we're not talking about just those one-off experiences. What we're talking about is cultivating habits of the heart. Habits of the heart. This is where it starts. This is our responsibility. Your, your heart, did you know this? Your heart can be trained to love God. You, you can teach your heart. We, we often look past this, but it's just the same with our bodies. We can teach our bodies things. We can teach our body to play a musical instrument. We can teach our body to play a sport, right? We, we, we accept this all the time. Like I'm teaching our boys piano with very mixed success these days. And I can tell, we sit down for a lesson. I can tell within about 20 seconds whether there's been any practice the previous week. And if it's, if it's all like looking at a note, trying to figure out what's the next, oh yeah, what's the next, that's a G, next one, then you know nothing's happened since last Monday. And then you have those occasionally miraculous times when you start to see a bit of muscle memory and you start to see the fingers finding their way and you realize there has been this amazing thing that's happened in the household called music practice. And it's a very rare occasion. But the difference is so noticeable. In the same way that we can train our fingers to play the piano or train our bodies to, to play football, we can train our hearts to desire God. Your heart is already being trained to desire something. I mean, every day your heart's being shaped, isn't it? Just by what you do, the people you hang out with, the job you've got, the social media you consume. You, our hearts are being shaped all the time. And if, you're, if you are here this morning, if, you, if your experience in church most Sundays is that you come along and you are totally disengaged in what's going on here. And you only stand up because you have to. And you don't even bother opening your mouth to sing the songs. And you're totally checking out through all of worship. And you're really just here to hear a sermon and then go home again. I can tell you that has nothing to do with what's happening on stage. That has nothing to do with the songs. It's nothing to do with the music. It has everything to do with your heart. It has everything to do with where you are before the Lord. And I would guess that if that's the space you're in, if you look back over the past week, you have not led your heart to desire the things of God. You probably have not directed your heart, connected your heart with God. If you're here this morning and your heart is warm and it's open and it's expectant, chances are that you've come with that sense of connecting your heart with God. What, what happens in this hour and a half here is really the product of what has happened in all of our lives over the past week. And we all feed that here and we all bring that into this place. And frankly, sometimes that's an indictment, isn't it? It's not all about what's going on in the here and now. It's about whether we are nurturing habits of the heart that lead us towards Jesus so that when we get to these times, we come with an expectancy to encounter God and worship him. And then it doesn't matter too much what the songs are and what the music's like because our hearts have a desire to connect with the heart of God. 
So the good news is, I'm not meaning to beat you up with this, the good news is we can cultivate these habits. And I will tell you with these things, there is no particular, this is nothing new. You've heard it all before. The significance of these things is not that they're new or novel. It's just that we don't do them. The first one is simply pray. You could put it another way, simply ask. Paul says in Romans 8, it's by the Spirit of God that we cry out, Abba, Father. So Abba, Father. Like that's the most endearing term that a child could say to their dad. Abba. It's, it's, like, it's like daddy, almost in English. For a Hebrew child, that was the word they'd learn for their dad. Abba, Abba, Father. And they would connect their heart with the heart of their father. But notice what Paul says. It is by the Spirit of God that we can do that. See, we could all say, right, we're going to desire God on the count of three. One, two, three. Mm. Love you, Jesus. What happens? We just look stupid. We, you know, it's, we're frustrated. You get depressed because it didn't work. You can't force yourself to desire God, but you can ask for it. Isn't that where we should ask? If it comes by the Holy Spirit, how about just asking God? How about just starting there? If you feel like your heart is cold and hard and in your mind, you're already got your, your walls are up. You don't even want to hear what I've got to say. How about just asking the Holy Spirit? That God, just give me this desire. I've got a hunger for the hunger. God, give me this desire for you. I see it when what Jesus said. I see it in what David wrote. God, would you come and give me this desire? Holy Spirit, come and fill me. And again, you're not just asking for emotions. You're saying, God, come and give me a new desire. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which I take to mean, not that he's going to give you whatever you want, but he will plant new desires within you. He'll give you a fresh desire for him. He'll start doing that. You ask him, imagine if you came before God every day and just took some time and said, God, would you come and plant a new desire in me for you? Just give me a love for you, God. Bring me back to my first love, as Revelation says. Just fan into flame. This little spark that I've got, God, give me a desire. Everything else is going to flow out of that. The rest of my life, my relationships, my spirituality, all that, it's going to flow from this deep desire for you. God, would you just come and fill me with that? Man, our lives would be changed. We'd be different people, and we would, we would come into these times in a totally different way. Just ask for it. Are you willing to sit in the presence of God for 10 minutes? When was the last time you did that? It's hard for some of you, right? I mean, you start like one minute, nine to go. It's, hard. When you, it's, it's, it's a habit. It's not easy to sit in the presence of God for 10 minutes for many, many people. It's like, what do, I don't know what to say. What do I do? I've, I've left out my words. You know, but just sit there and just be still in the presence of God and ask him to come and fill you afresh and place new desires in your heart. It starts by asking. And it starts by an ongoing commitment to pray and seek the Lord and ask the Spirit of God to sow something new into your life, into your heart. Secondly, read. Read. Read this. Scripture and prayer, or another way to say it, the Word and the Spirit, always work together, the Spirit and the Word. Over summer, one of the things I did was memorize Psalm 63, and I don't say this to show you how great I am at all. My memory is not great these days. Sermons are about all I can memorize. I forget my kids' names, but I can memorize a sermon. <laughs> but I memorized Psalm 63, and one of, the, one of the beauties of that was the repetitive reading of Scripture. Take one passage 
and I, and I read it. It, it. I needed to read it a lot in order to get it into my brain. And man, there's something that happens when you take one passage like one psalm and you read it over and over and over. And you start seeing things that you don't see on a single reading. And you say, oh, there's something at the end of the psalm that connects to something back at the beginning of the psalm. And I didn't see it. And on a particular day, the Holy Spirit just works through the word, doesn't he? There'll be a day and that particular phrase just pops out. That particular word just pops out. And I, I sensed over those couple of months that I memorized that psalm, God did use that to stir a deep desire within me for him. I, I did feel my affections being stirred for Jesus. But I will be honest with you and say, I can see over the last month or so, it's now cooled off. And I can just see it. I can really clearly see the difference between January and February in my life. January, I was connected to God and I was in his word and my heart was being stirred. February, it's all cooled off. And so I'm convicted. I'm challenged to come back again to scripture, to come back again to the Holy Spirit and say, God, fan into flame afresh. Give me those words of David again to say to you, God, because if we don't attend to our souls, they will grow cold. And they will grow hard, and they will grow calloused. We need to tend our souls like we're tending a garden. It's the only way. They'll be nurtured to desire God. So scripture, soak yourself in a psalm like Psalm 63. Spend some time. Don't just see the Bible as this thing that you come to to get knowledge and information and data. See it as a place you go to encounter the living God. And believe that the Spirit of God is going to meet you in the text and bring it alive and stir your soul, and stir your heart. One final habit is worship. And I mean worship broadly defined. So what we do here in, in worshiping through song and through communion is essential. But there are many ways of worshiping. It might be music. You might be you know, someone, I, I love worship music. So for me, like a good worship music playlist on Spotify, fantastic. Um, I'm listening to a song at the moment by Charity Gale called I Speak Jesus. It's a beautiful song. Add that to your Spotify playlist. And that song stirs my heart. And that song connects my heart to God. But it might not connect your heart to God. So what is it? Think about those things. Just as I'm speaking now, think about what is the thing that connects your heart to God? If it's not music, if it's not singing, that's okay. But what is it? Is it going for a, a long bike ride across the North Shore? Or a long walk up and down Long Bay Beach? Or is it just sitting in silence and stillness? Is it conversation with other people that you need other people? You're such an extrovert, you just got always feeding off other people. So some good conversation maybe, and conversation about some deeper things. Conversation about faith. That for you is what stirs your heart. What is it for you that connects your heart to the heart of God? And can I urge you and encourage you to prioritize that in your life this year? Don't see it as this peripheral little activity that's not as important as the main stuff. That is the heart of it. Make time in your diary. Put time in your schedule for that activity. It's important. Everything else flows out of that. So ask and read and worship. And as we do these things, we will then start living into the promises on the other side of those beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Filled. Come on, anyone want to be filled? Filled, filled with the presence of God. Again, not just filled with emotions, not just filled with good vibes. Filled with the presence of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. Here, here is another paradox 
of desiring God, that he doesn't leave us in that frustrated place. But even as we long for him, he satisfies us. So David says, I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. That's verse 5. So here's David. He's longing, he's longing, he's desperate for the presence of God. And at the same time, he's saying, I'm satisfied as with the richest of foods. This will be your experience as you learn to desire God. You, you have the sense of longing, God, I want you, I'm desperate for your presence. At the same time, God, I'm being satisfied. You're, you're speaking into my soul. You're filling me with a sense of your presence. My soul is able to be at rest, even when things are really, really turbulent in my life. God, you're satisfying. And that very satisfaction leads you to hunger for the things of God even more, and it begins to spiral upward in your life. You'll be filled And then what's the promise of verse 8? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What an amazing promise. And I I don't just believe that's in the next life. I think that is here as well, that we see God. The more that we think about him in his word, the more we fix our eyes on him and desire him, he will give you a a greater vision of who he is, a, a greater vision of Jesus, a more beautiful vision of his glory, a greater vision of his humanity, a greater vision of what he's done for you, sometimes a greater vision of your own sin, but only so that you'll get a greater vision of his grace. But you'll see him. You'll behold the face of God. And we do all of this anticipating the day when Jesus will return. And then all of that hungering and that thirsting will finally be over. That's, that's the final chapter of the story, isn't it? One day, one day when Jesus returns, First John says, now we see him as he is, then we will see him face to face. We will see him. We will behold the face of God. And Revelation says, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. But God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. On that day, then all the longings for God that we have in this life, they'll be met, they'll be fulfilled. We won't have to long for him anymore. We will have him fully and we'll know the fullness of his presence. So as God gives you that desire in the present, just see that as pulling your heart towards the day when Jesus returns. That's where those desires are orientated. That's where they're anchored in that newness of life when Jesus quenches that thirst finally and completely and fully. And so I just want to bring you back One last time as we close to that question, so simple but so fundamental. Where is your heart this morning? Just take a look. Where is your heart this morning? Sometimes it takes effort to even get a sense of where our own heart is. So many layers of other stuff build up above it. But just in this moment, search and examine. Let God search and examine your heart and ask yourself, where is it before God? And maybe your heart is pretty cold this morning. Maybe you've just gotten really good at playing the game. And you've just gotten really good at presenting the front and having this veneer of Christianity. But as you really examine your heart, you realize it is stone cold. And if that's you this morning, there's there's no word that I can say that's going to change that. So I know the limitation. But if you have a sense that the Holy Spirit is just nudging in that really uncomfortable, annoying way that he does, I just ask you to open your heart, hard though it is to that, let him take that hard, cold heart and give you a heart of flesh. It's the promise of Ezekiel. It can be fulfilled in your life. Let him take, if it's just a little ember, just a flicker of something, bring it to the Lord and say, God, I just trust that I can give this to you and you will do something with it. God, I, I, don't, I can't conjure it up. I can't make it happen, but you've got a hunger for the hunger. 
and you've got a thirst for the thirst. And if that's what you have this morning, then just bring, that's your offering. That's your worship. To bring that before God and say, it's just a, a mustard seed. God, that's all I've got, but I just place it on the altar. And Holy Spirit, I pray, you would give me a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. So that you might say with David, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts after you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land. That we'd not just say those words, but we would know them. And they could be the deepest expression of our heart. And God might satisfy us with the richness of his presence as that desire grows and grows and builds in our lives. Let me just pray for you as our church family. And just in the quietness of this moment, just allow your heart to be open before the Lord. Wherever you're at, whatever you're carrying this morning, things on your mind, things that are distracting us. But just be in that space of openness to what God might be saying and what God might be doing. And, and try to get a sense of where your own desires are steering you. God, we want to desire you, but so often, and even now, our desires are for other things. If we're really honest with ourselves, God, our desires are for other things. Our desires are just for our own comfort, or convenience, or relationships. And God, we just want to come honestly. We come broken to you this morning. We just come uh, just as we are. God, you see it all. You see our hearts. You see everything that's going on. But we just say to you, God, here's my heart this morning. Would you take it in its, in its fragile state? And it's so, it's so prone, God, to wander away from you. But God, would you take our hearts and would you draw our hearts close to you? And would you begin to stir in us the desire that Jesus you talked about? Would you begin to stir, even now, Holy Spirit, would you just begin to stir among your people a deep desire, a deep desire for you, God? Lord, lead us to set our hearts on you. As we walk out these doors, may this not just have been one more service or even one experience where we felt close to you, but God, would you show us now how you want to cultivate this desire, how you want to keep growing and keep watering and keep nurturing that little seed to grow it into something that is glorious for you. God, we want to be open <clears throat> and we say, God, that we don't know how this works and we don't quite know what to do and what it's going to look like in our life but we just come before you and offer ourselves openly to you and we thank you God that you're so gracious so tender so kind you just meet us exactly where we're at so come and move in our hearts Holy Spirit and lead them to yourself we pray in Jesus name Amen This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church for more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.